Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Good morning, everybody. Today, we will be speaking with Olu. Uh, Olu, uh, looking at your bio, I see that you held a few positions as a network engineer uh, almost two decades ago, or even a bit more than that. And then uh, I think around 2004, you made a transition into uh, what is now called cybersecurity. Back in the day, it was called either information security or IT security and risk management. And I see you held a couple of positions in, in that role. Uh, I'm sorry, in that space. And right now, I believe you're the chief information security officer of the NYC Department of Transportation. Uh, and I'll pass the baton to you if you want to step in and introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Um, my name is Olusegun Okoyemi Ajayi, uh, Olu for short, for obvious reasons. Um, so we'll keep it at Olu. Uh, <laughs> I'm the Executive Director, uh, Chief Information Security Officer at uh, New York City Department of Transportation. Um, I've been in information technology slash security for over 20 years. Um, spent most of my life, uh, earlier years in startup companies, um, and then moved to the public sector where I've been for the last 18 years. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for uh, providing your full name as well, because as I told you before we started recording, I, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. Uh, you know, before we dive right in, um, I just wanted to do a quick recap. So as our listeners know, this uh, podcast uh, main objective is to learn more about the individuals be behind the steering wheel or currently occupying the, the CISO seat. Uh, the, the podcast is focused, uh, this episode would be focused around about you, not specifically about the organization that you're employed with. Uh, and the main intent here is to share experience and to learn from your experience for our listeners to benefit from. Um, with that, I always like to ask a couple of icebreaker questions here. So uh, if you could provide us with your marital status and favorite drink. Um, I'm married. Uh been married since uh, 2001. Uh, I have two boys. Um, you know, uh, uh, favorite drink, uh, I'm a teetotaler. I don't drink alcohol. So uh, depending on my mood, I could go for pineapple juice or cranberry and orange juice. Really? Boring, but that's it. But are you referring to the boxed versions of the of these juices or the fresh ones? Like, do you squeeze them yourself? Yeah, the fresh one, preferably. But if I go out, you know, I'll yeah. just take whatever they have. <laughs> Got it. Okay, let's dive right in. Uh, if there's one thing you wish you'd known before you began your career, what would that be? I'll say the importance of work-life balance. Uh, obviously, I started my career as a network engineer. And uh, back then, it was a 365 the operation. And, you know, it was, it was like I was permanently on. And I didn't really 
realize, you know, how intense it was until, you know, uh, one day when I went to the restroom and I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to be doing there. <laughs> I was just so, <laughs> that's when I realized, you know what, I needed to take it easy. Um, you know, so it's important to understand, you know, obviously when you're much younger, you know, you have enough time and energy for that, but it catches up to you. So just understanding, you know, how to manage that, um, that, that I think that has been, uh, one of the, you know, things, you know, that I've learned in my career. But, you know, let me ask you a follow-up question, because I think this is a global issue. Many people are suffering for that. Do you have, like, I'm sure you have, like, your own quick tips on how to accomplish that, to maintain a work-life balance? Yeah, I think, you know, it's understanding the job itself, you know, and how to properly manage and to, you know, uh, compartmentalize, uh, to, to keep it in a compartment kind of, right? Um, obviously you can't finish the job. There's always something to be done, but you know, it's just being able to prioritize what needs to be done and understanding the business environment so that you can, you can deal, you know, uh, in an appropriate way where you're still able to manage expectations, you know, but do it without, within reasons, right? Um, and to be able to, you know, let people understand that, you know, there's life after work, right? You know, cause sometimes, you know, you're so engaged, you know, you're responding to emails at 2 a.m., you know, because, you know, you think, you know, you have to respond and, you know, people are, you know, the people you're responding to probably won't check it till 8 a.m. in the morning anyway, you know. So it's just having that understanding that, you know, you have to take time off. It has to be a deliberate thing, you know. You just have to make time, you know, to be able to spend it with family or to just take time, you know, to just do something leisurely, just take, you know, because if you're not, you know, if you're not fully engaged, you know, your personal life, you know, um, it's going to catch up eventually, you know, with your professional life. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, looking back at your career, what would you say your biggest failure was? Um, you know, if I look at it professionally, I, I think uh, it's probably not understanding the business, you know, not, you know, taking time to understand, you know, what the business is and relationships, building relationships, you know, uh, in that environment, right? Uh, sometimes you get caught up with just what you are doing. You, you don't see the clear picture, right? You know, whether you're in IT or in security, uh, you want to put additional controls because you think you have to do it right now, right here, you know? Um, so it's really understanding the business and building relationships so that, you know, the decisions that you make you know, uh, you, you try and be more objective and you make sure they align, you know, with the business goals and the, with, with the organization's mission. You know, I've had, you know, uh, while trying to put, especially in security, you, you know, you're trying to put all these controls in place right now, right here. And then you start annihilating people, right? Because they think you don't get it. You don't understand the business. And you're just looking at it from a technical control or administrative control, but you have to be able to understand the bigger picture, you know. Yeah, and just as a quick follow-up on that, because, you know, I've been getting a similar response from a lot of my interviewees. Why do you think, do you think that is, that, um, you know, at the beginning of their careers, security professionals feel, I mean, it catches up to them and they realize it only later in the game, but they don't understand the business. Why do you think the reason for that? What's your take on that? Well, for me, I think, you know, 
I, for me, personally, I think it's because coming from a background of a network engineer where you're more behind the scene, you know, you're just configuring routers and firewall and switches. You don't really get to interact with the business, right? You know, so, you know, it more or less gives you a tunnel vision, right? You know, hey, you know, now I'm in security, I'm in governance, and I'm just looking at the policy and I'm saying, checklist, checklist, you have to do ABC, right? Without really understanding the reasons why you should have an exception, right? You know, so, you know, I, I think for a lot of people who come in, especially the ones who have technology background, they're always looking at it from just that angle, right? You know, so it takes a while to warm up. I remember, um, you know, when I got into management and uh, my CIO said, oh, you know, Olu, you have to do a presentation, <laughs> you know, to senior leadership next week. And I'm like, uh, well, I'm not sure I really want to do that, right? Because I had not been having that interaction, right? You know, of standing in front of people, and talking about things, you know, in a meaningful way that people who are not tech car will understand, right? So I had to build that up, you know, and uh, I've been fortunate to have, you know, bosses who were more interested in developing those soft skills, right? You know, so, you know, it helps, you know, down the road when you start, you know, getting that experience of dealing with people, especially on the business level, you know, but, we, you know, uh, historically, when you're there and you're put in a box, you know, you're just doing hardware stuff or software stuff. You don't really get that interaction. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that insight. Uh, what would you say then that your biggest accomplishment was? Uh, I think my, you know, I'll say the ability, you know, to evolve, right? You know, um, you know, um, and then to understand how you can make a difference, you know, uh, in an organization, um, you know. When I was working in networking, you know, uh, I, I got in there and, you know, they had so many, you know, consultants, they had, uh, you know, a company that was managing, you know, the infrastructure resources, you know, and I looked at it and it was costing a fortune, you know, and I looked at the service, you know, and I was like, why are we paying this guy so much money? I mean, they're so expensive, you know? But they were concerned, you know, that was the network director. They were like, oh, we relied on these guys, you know, if something happens, we can point the fingers at them. And I said, no, you know, I'm a network engineer. I'll take the responsibility. Let's get additional resources and we can save all these millions, you know, and we're able to do that. You know, we put all the necessary, you know, uh, controls in place, got the necessary resources. And I mean, we're able to save, you know, quite a number, uh, I mean, a, a lot of money. Right. Um, so to me, I think that was probably the biggest accomplishment because I could see it in dollars and cents. Right. And the organization was able to see the savings. It was tangible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and you know, looking again, looking back at your career uh, and for our listeners out there that, wanted, that want to pursue a career in cybersecurity and maybe eventually, you know, holding a CISO role, what would your advice to them would be like, what should they do? How should they start in order to pursue a career that eventually would be similar to yours? Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, like I say, you know, uh, knowledge is power, right? So if you're interested in cybersecurity, um, you need to start reading up on, you know, on the news, right? You know, if there's a, a data breach, you know, read up on it, find out what happened, how it happened, you know, um, what could have been done, you know? So it's a little bit of a re of research, you know, check out uh, the certifications that are out there, right? You know, because 
security has evolved so much now, unlike when I first started, you know, you could be a penetration tester now, you know, uh, you could be an application security person now, you know, you could do governance, risk and compliance, right? So it's so much diversified now. So you have to do a little of research and try and figure out, you know, what exactly, you know, do you really want to do? You know, are you a technical person that you want to work in the background or do you want to, you know, work more in security audit, you know? Um, so that'll be it, you know, do a lot of reading, check out the certifications that are out there, you know, and, uh, you know, if you're still thinking of going to college, you know, um, then, you know, check out computer science or management information security uh, or systems rather, or information technology degree in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So basically education, better educa educating yourself, researching. Uh, I, I would even add for, for the purpose of, you know, determining what is of interest to you, right? Because as you mentioned, you could be a, a pen tester, you can be an application security personnel or staffer, you could be a SOC analyst. Uh, yes. There's many ways to start, uh, but, you, but I think what you're alluding to is that first you need to understand what your passion is. So, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because it's not really all about, you know, making the money. You have to make sure that, you know, it has to be something that you're going to enjoy and want to do for a long time, you know, because uh, in especially in security, you know, you have to read a lot, you know, you have to find out what's going on out there, you know, uh, you have to, you know, there are webinars there, the seminars, you know, you have to be engaged, you know, so it helps if you are passionate about it. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about, um, you know, start talking a bit about the, the role of the CISO. Now, a lot of organizations position the CISO as, the par as part of the IT organizations. In your opinion, like, what are the pros and cons about it? And, and in general, what do you feel about that structure? Yeah, I think I'm, you know, I belong to the camp of people who say, you know, the CISO should not report to, you know, to IT or to the Chief Information Security Officer, uh, officer right? I'm one of those, right? And, um, you know, it's based on experience of having, you know, worked as a network engineer and then having moved into security. Um, obviously, there are pros, you know, in, you, you know, if you report to, you know, uh, to the Chief Information Security Officer, and one of that is, you know, you get to experience the challenges that IT has in real time, right? You know, you get to build relationships too, you know, with the folks in IT, you know, because, you know, it's not easy being a chief information security officer. In most organizations, you know, the challenges are the same. Legacy, you know, applications, legacy systems, you know, end of life uh, uh, operating systems, you know, end of support operating systems, you know which creates security challenges, right? You know, and the CIO is in the middle of all that, you know? So, you know, working, you know, in IT makes you understand, you know, what those challenges are, you know, and it helps you build relationships too, you know? I mean, those are the pros, right? Uh, but for me, you know, the cons are, you know, when you report to the Chief Information Security Officer, it affects your objectivity a little bit, right? You know, because you see all those things you know, and, you know, you become more sympathetic to them, right? Yeah. And, you know, dealing with the CIO, you know, you have this discussion and it's like, yeah, you know, how difficult it is to get money, how difficult it is to get the resources and all that, right? You know, so, you know, that might dull your objectivity, you know, um, you know, that's part of it. Um, you know, and then, you know, sometimes it becomes adversarial, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, people in IT say, hey, you, you know, you're one of us, you know, why are you always giving us a hard time, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Um, so, you know, if you're reporting outside our line, you know, it's easier for you to exert more pressure, right? You say, hey, listen, I understand I'm sympathetic towards these things, you know, but, you know, we have to be compliant, right? You know, if there are regulations involved, you know, um, and then, you know, it's easier for you to talk to senior leadership and be more open about what the challenges are, right? Because, you know, um, the CISO might see some security gaps and, you know, might want to gloss over it, you know, um, you know, and, and it's not because they don't really want to do every, anything about it, but, you know, resources are an issue sometimes, right? You know, um, but, you know, when you're outside that, you know, it can be more objective and it's easy to, to be able to tell senior leadership, yeah, we have all these gaps, right? You know, and, you know, it's going to cost X, Y, Z, you know, to be able to fix those gaps. And these are the risks that are involved, right? You know, um, so, um, you know, reporting to the chief, you know, uh, financial officer or the CEO or somebody like that, um, I think should be the ideal case. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's just the way, you know, that position has evolved and it just evolved under the chief information security officer. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I completely agree with your stance. And obviously there are all kinds of rebuttals to that and there are uh, you know, numerous examples of a successful organization were placed the, who placed the CISO in the IT organization. But uh, I think eventually, you know, at the end of the day, it, it comes back to, uh, you know, your relationship with the CIO, their uh, commitment to uh, the level of cybersecurity and compliance, and, and then again, personal relationship as well in chemistry. But but again, you know, I, I understand all the the, the the pros and cons that you that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, and personally I'm yeah, I, I feel that the CISO should be outside of the IT organization. But uh, you know, it's not the right or wrong question here, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my, my present job when I joined, you know, um, and even my last one, you know, the CIO was like, hey, listen, you know, you know, I, I'm just giving you free range, right? You know, just make sure you look me in, right? You know, let's have that communication constantly going. So when your CIO has an open door policy, you know, and is a believer in security, because that's the key, right? You yeah. know, if he's a believer and is a driving force in security, then at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really matter, right? The only place where it matters is if your CIO is not an advocate for security or doesn't really- Exactly. He's not passionate about it. Yeah, exactly. That's where the uh, you know the, the problem begins, um, but um, you know looking again, uh, talking a bit about your role, you needed to learn a lot because you 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 transitioned from you know a net, being a network engineer into um, an information security professional. Uh, like, how did you do it? What were the best resources that have helped you along the way? Well, you know, uh, I think you know relationships you know, um, helped a, li a lot. Because um, when I was in networking and security started evolving, you know, and I was working with different vendors, right? You know, and talking to them, you know, uh, they were able to, you know, stem in the right direction. You know, hey, you know, this is evolving. They were trying to sell products and sell solutions, right? You know, but at the same time, you know, um, they were giving me their roadmap, right? And that gave me an understanding of where security could go, right? Uh, and then, you know, advising on, you know, certifications, on training classes, you know, on various courses, you know, on workshops, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that played a, a major role, you know, in the direction of uh, 
me going from you know being a network engineer into going to you know into cybersecurity, information security, now cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. and, and do you think uh, certifications of uh, some sort? I know you've discussed this. Do you think that's like uh, just a supporting pillar, or is it like uh, mandatory in your opinion? Um, for me, I'll say it's mandatory now um you know because the certifications have evolved too you know back in the day you just had to like memorize and all that you know um there's some certifications right now where you know there are case studies you know you need some real life experience you know um and then it just shows to me you know uh aspiration right that you made that extra effort you know to say you know what yeah i like this but hey i'm going to use my initiative and just you know go take a certification you know, um, it doesn't really mean that because you have a certification, you're going to be a better, you know, cybersecurity person. But just on certain level, it just shows initiative, right? Um, you know, I mean, for me, you know, I took a lot of certifications because, you know, I like to take, you know, tests periodically just to test my, because it forces me to read, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. so, you know, uh, you know, I remember, you know, because I took my CISSP like in, you know, 2009, you know, which was a long time ago. Um, and then, you know, I realized, you know, I wasn't really, you know, reading as much as last year, you know, then I said, oh, you know what, maybe I need to take the, you know, uh, uh, certified information security management, you know, certification. And then after a while, I'm like, you know, well, maybe I should do this, you know, because it forces me to read, right. And to just know what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Is there any one common myth about uh, this profession, the cybersecurity space that you wanted to debunk? Yeah, certainly, you know, that security gets in the way of business, right? That it's, a, it's, it's an hindrance, right? You know, everybody, you know, they look at security, you know, and they think, oh, well, you're just trying to put roadblocks, you know, hey, you know, there's a way to simplify this. Oh, well, you know, um yeah we've been doing it this way and nothing has happened right you know but i always thought that because nothing has happened doesn't mean something is not going to happen right you know so i think that's the biggest challenge you know of people just thinking oh security is you know uh is an hindrance to to business and to you know working efficiently <laughs> you know um but i think people are beginning to come to the realization that you know uh, security, because even in their personal lives, right, there's been so many breaches now, right? I, I think I'll be surprised if there's someone whose data has not been breached at one point in time, whether, you know, you shop at Home Depot or you have a Yahoo account, you know. So I think people are beginning to understand the importance of security, you know, um, you know, and um, that can yeah. only go a great way in being helpful. Well, it's definitely much more mainstream nowadays, uh, cybersecurity and breaches and hacks than what it was like 20, 22, 22 years ago when I started, you know, when you had to explain what was information security uh, to your family and friends. But uh, yeah, for sure. Um, now, talking a bit about the industry, um, what, in your opinion, what do you think are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have in general? Um, yeah, it's the same thing, you know, uh, you know, threats, you know, the, I mean, you know, the, the attack surfaces has just increased, you know, <laughs> you know, greatly now, right? You know, back in the day, you had a VPN, you know, for remote access and everything was okay, you know. Uh, back in the day, you had endpoint security, oh, I have McAfee, you know, oh, all is well, you know. 
Uh, but things have changed so much now. There's, you know, now you have to worry about the cloud. Now you have to worry about, you know, uh, IoT devices, you know, uh, you know, operational technology, you know. So, I mean, and the threat just keeps evolving. So obviously, you know, now you have state actors, you know, uh, you have activists, you know. So right now, it's, uh, you just worry about, you know, when is it going to be your turn, right? You know, um, because I mean, no one can say they're 100% secure. You know, it doesn't really matter how much you spend or how many people you have under you, right? You know, there's always that chink in the armor that somebody's willing to explore, you know? So yeah, traits, you know, um, you know, incident response, you know, are you sure you're testing your incident response plan? Are you, you know, do you know what to do when the inevitable happens? Right, so, you know, I mean, you worry about that, you know, you want to make sure that it's not just, you know, the IT people that know what to do, but even the business, you know, so you have to build up relationship, you know, so that when something happens, you know who to call, you know, and you've tested it out, you know, so that's always at the back of your mind, you know, we don't want anything to happen, but if it happens, you know, um, you know, do we have everything in place to be able to recover and recover quickly? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, please. Yeah, no, no, please finish. Your yeah, and then talk. finally, you know, education, awareness, and training, right? You know, uh, you're always still on edge with, you know, no matter, you know, you, you, you know, you do fishing campaign, you know, you do all the, you know, but somebody is always still clicking on something, right? You know, so you always still worry that, you know, hey, what can you do to just improve that, right? Uh, so that people can always be on guard. Yeah, and you know, as you said, you can never be um, one hundred percent secure, no matter how you spend. And I would even argue that at some point there's a diminishing return on, you know, if uh, on the amount you spend to the to the actual value that it uh, keeps contributing. Um, yeah, and it's always a challenge. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming for you guys to uh, to align the budget and prioritize the items that you need to be dealing with. I can only yeah. assume how you're doing it, uh, probably based on the risk. Um, you know, risk management sort of system. And, but um, yeah, it's definitely challenging, um, especially with the, with the evolving threats, because you don't, you can't necessarily know how to quantify them as they evolve, right? Right. So in your opinion, what are the most important skills CISOs nowadays should have? Um, business skills, definitely. You know, um, you know, it's not just all technical. You definitely have to have some technical knowledge to be able to deal with the folks in IT. Uh, but you know, the business skills now. Now you have to be able to, you know, uh, talk to the guys in the, you know, at, at the C level, right? And to be able to explain risk to them in the way that they can relate to. You know, not just charts of the number of uh, incidents and vulnerabilities and you know firewall hits and things like that. You know, but to be able to talk about it, you know, on an enterprise risk level, how does it really affect us, right? And what is the consequence, right? Um, so yeah, you know, it's just developing those soft skills. You know, being comfortable, you know, with senior leadership, you know, and being able to articulate those views in a way that they can understand and relate to. Uh, so business skills, but also you're you're saying, I mean, in order to be able to talk with the management and convey whatever it is in the business language, you also need to have some kind of a technical understanding to be able to serve as a translator. 
Is that correct? Is correct assumption? That's correct. Yeah, because now you have to be the bridge between information technology and the business, right? You know, you have to be able to, you know, sit, you know, uh, straddle those two lines, right, and be able to bridge it in a way that you know becomes seamless, right? You know, uh, where your you know CEO your is comfortable enough to call you to say, hey, listen, you know, I read about you know this breach at you know some entity you know uh yesterday you know i mean what's going on you know and then you know you can have a conversation about it in a way that can reassure them but still let them understand that there are threats out there right you know so um that's kind of relationship you want to build where they're comfortable to be able to ask questions you know and you kind of switch their feeling while still telling them that hey listen you know there's still a lot of threats out there yeah and, and, you know, I think uh, what we've seen in the past uh, decade or even uh, 15 years is the transition of the Caesar role into, as, as you alluded to, into a more business type of role. Because back in the day, it was uh, what we used to call, the, you know, network technicians or even keyboard technicians at some point being promoted and, and getting to, you know, uh, basically take ownership of the, the, the information security posture of an organization. Um, and we just spoke about, you know, the need to, to be business oriented and also speak the, the technical language as well. But in your opinion, where's the, this role, the CISA role is going, looking, you know, to, into the future for like five, 10 years from now, what would we see in your opinion? Well, you know what, to me, I think it's really going to shift more to the business side than the technical side, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, I think I won't be surprised if, you know, in the next four or five years, you start seeing people uh, who are just business people, <laughs> you know, acting as chief information security officer and just aggregating information, right? And being able to interpret that to the board. Um, you know, uh, I mean, now you're seeing that even with some chief information officers, right? Some of them have limited technical expertise or knowledge. Right. And I think, you know, that, that, that's, you know, where it's really is going to be going more towards the management and the business side than the technical. Okay. And, uh, you know, picking up on that thread, what's, what's next for the cybersecurity world, in your opinion? What will we see next? Well, you know, that's the thing, you know, like they said, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And that's it for cybersecurity. It's still going to be, you know, people coming up with, you know, newer products, whether it's software, whether it's hardware, you know, to address the same problems, right? <laughs> you know, um, you know, because it's the same problems in different ways, right? Ransomware started, well, I don't know, 20 years ago, you know, and it's still here in different forms, right? You know, uh, it's just how, you know, you know, it's, it's been delivered that it's changing a little bit, right? And then, you know, a few years ago was a business email compromise, right? You know, so, you know, people are just going to be coming with, you know, the technology is still going to be, you know, evolving around those same challenges that we've had, really. Um, because if you look at history, um, it's still the same vulnerability that we're addressing, right? You know, um, you know, uh, we have all these tech companies that, uh, that we buy services and products from, and every week they're telling us there's one vulnerability or the other. And, you know, all we do is, you know, uh, work them all, right? You know, every day I'm talking to the guys, hey, you know, make sure this is patched, you know, there's a new one, hey, make sure it's patched, you know? And then the following week, you know, it's the next one, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I, I think, you know, it just there's gonna be innovation, you know, in hardware and software, you know, security, hardware and software and solutions 
Um, and then, you know, as we're seeing it now, more managed services, you know, people are, you know, like everything, you know, people are going to the cloud, you know, maybe more companies will be going to more managed services than having their own in-house staff, you know, do the work, um, you know, having fewer people in-house and just, you know, uh, working more with third parties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you were talking about maybe more uh, like a um, larger transition into SaaS-based services and products. How do you feel about the, you know, the, the virtual CISO offerings out there for smaller organizations? Do you think that would grow or will that shrink in your opinion? No, I think that will probably grow um, because right now, although it's been around for a few years, it's still in its infancy, right? You know, there's still a lot of, especially, you know, when you look at uh, healthcare, you know, where you have HIPAA laws and there's so many, you know, uh, primary care physicians out there, you know, the you know, a lot of, you know, small network of doctors out there, you know, who at some point will start, you know, looking at those services, you know, just to protect themselves. Um, so I think there's still opportunity for growth uh, in that field. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, any, in your opinion, any uh, trends around budget planning and changes before between before the pandemic and post-pandemic? Um, you know, I haven't seen much of that, you know, um, at least in the public sector. Um, and I think that's because, you know, in the public sector, especially for the cities, you know, they lost a lot of revenue during COVID, you know. Um, so um, I think it's been more about the same. Uh, but I have a feeling, you know, maybe in a year or two, you know, it might start changing, it might start spending more money. Um, you know, I mean, the only thing I've seen really is really more of attrition on the, you know, on the people's side, you know, as people go, yeah. you know, in search of more re- remote work now, you know, than coming to the office five days a week. Um, yeah. So I think the challenge really is backfilling positions right now. Uh, but in terms of, you know, new needs, you know, uh, especially, you know, for products and services, I haven't seen much change in that. Got it. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. Like people want to work remotely nowadays. I know a lot of, uh, you know, a bunch of people from New York have moved to Florida. I know a lot of people on the West Coast moved to either Montana or Texas, Idaho, Oregon, all kinds of other places rather than California. So I, I do see the this shift as well. Um now, what would you define having, you know, taking into consideration all that you've said around the, the, the trends in the industry, what would you define as innovation in, in this space? That's a tough one, you know. Um, you know, um, I think more of the, you know, vendors going to cloud services now to provide their services, you know, uh, a lot of the vendors that we have right now uh, are trying to move away from on-prem on- deliveries, right? You know, everybody's trying to go into the cloud. Um, you know, I, I think um, a lot of them, are, you know, the adoption has been slow, but that's what I'm seeing right now. People are trying to provide, you know, they don't really want to go into the, you know, hardware software business, you know, on-prem anymore. Uh, they're trying to build out their cloud presence, you know, and encourage, you know, their present vendors to make that migration. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, you know, and, and I, I've heard all kinds of doomsday scenario a few years ago that, you know, eventually the cloud would shrink and everybody will go back to on-prem because of rising costs. Uh, did you see that happening? I, I personally don't, but uh, just asking for your opinion. Well, I see that happening, but, you know, it, it, it's going to be negligible, right? You know, because a lot of people are committed to the cloud right now. And, um uh, you know, with our commitment to the cloud, some people have reduced their, their footprint a lot, you know, and, you know, so that's always the problem, right? The cost of, okay, all right, you know, now I have to hire more people in house to manage this stuff, you know, you know, and people don't really want to go through that. But I've seen, you know, I've talked to a few colleagues that, you know, uh, made that initial leap to the cloud and are gradually, you know, bringing some stuff back in, you know, uh, internally. You know, but uh, I think, uh, you know, the horse is already out of the barn, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, so I, I don't see a radical change, you know, and, you know, the way technology works, the cloud companies will continue to evolve too, and try and figure out a way where they can reduce cost, uh, you know, because what people have noticed right now is, yeah, you know, you come in, you know, thinking it's going to cost X amount of money, and then before you know it, you know, um, you know, it's nickel and diamond, you know, now you have to pay for everything that you never thought about. And then, you know, but on our side, the good thing is, you know, before a lot of those things, you know, uh, you couldn't consider to be capital expenditure, right? So that's changing, you know, so without change, uh, that would be helpful, you know, in keeping, you know, uh, those cloud services going. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we're coming to the last part of uh, this episode today. Uh, I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts about, you know, vendors real quick. Just, so I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions there before we can wrap this episode up. Uh, now, you know, everybody knows that the vendor relationship could be, how do I say it, um, could be a bit... Um, like hard, stressing, and maybe uncomfortable at times. But right. in, in your opinion, what is it that you don't want to see in a vendor or a potential vendor? Uh, what I don't want to see, which tends to happen a lot, is, you know, uh, vendors who, you know, oversell their products and their services, right? You know, um, they tell you you can do 10 things when in reality, you know, um, it can do one or two things very well, right? But they don't tell you that, you know? So, you know, I, I think that's always been, I mean, there's been so many times, you know, in the past and now where we've implemented the technology and then you find out that you're only using like 5% or 10%, you know, uh, of what you can get out of it, you know, because, you know, implementation becomes, you know, so unwelding, you know, and so resource intensive, right? You know, so... You know, I want a vendor that will come and say, listen, I'm really good at this, you know, and that's what I'm selling to you, you know, not that, you know, I can be good at other things and that's what I'm selling to you, <laughs> you know. So I, I think that's the that's the biggest frustration I've worked with, you know. I remember my last job, we had a GRC tool uh, for 10 years. We could largely get it working right. Mm -hmm. you know, and every year we are paying the subscription fee, right? <laughs> because they kept telling us, oh, well, you know, now we're going to give you more resources. You know, it's going to get better now, you know. Um, you know, so that, that gets pretty frustrating pretty fast. Okay. So what is it that you do look uh, in a vendor for? Um, honesty, you know, integrity, 
you know, and, you know, providing excellent support. I remember when I was a network engineer, um, that was what I liked about Cisco back then, right? You know, if you had a problem and you called the tech support, you know, that you were getting the best and the brightest, right? You know, and that was helpful back in the day. And that's what you want, you know, you know, you want us, you know, a vendor that supports you all the way, not just I'm giving you the product and then, you know, see you in four years time or next year when I need a renewal. You want to, you know, uh, a vendor that is a partner, you know, uh, that reaches out, that provides support, you know, that gives you the roadmap before you, you know, you start harassing them, right? You know, they innovate you, <laughs> you know, and they take you along, you know, for the ride. Yeah. And, you know, one of the issues that CISOs are uh, dealing with is uh, a lot of cold calls or cold emails or cold LinkedIn requests by potential vendors. Like, what would be a good way to reach out to you as a vendor, as a potential vendor that will not put you off? Yeah, well, you know, I don't mind, and I get that, I don't mind people reaching out on LinkedIn, you know, because, uh, you know, I can go check, you know, if I want to respond, I'll respond, you know. Uh, but the emails, I mean, I wake up, I get to work in the office, and they're like 67 emails, man. I spend most of my time on subscribing, you know, on subscribing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, that, that's the biggest challenge, right? You know, and then, you know, referrals, you know, if you've worked with another agency or you've worked with an entity, you know, um, you know, and uh, you can reach out to them and say, hey, you know, do you know anybody in this organization and all that? And then have that person reach out first to say, hey, you know, because sometimes, you know, vendors reach out to me if I like the products. You know, I can reach out to a colleague, a professional colleague and say, hey, you know what, I looked at this uh, security and awareness or phishing campaign, you know, organization, and it's nice. Hey, take a look at it, <clears throat> you know, but chances are, if you're just sending me things called, you know, uh, chances are, not, you know, I'm just going to delete it, you know, so mm -hmm. I think, you know, professional referral is helpful, you know, reach out on LinkedIn, you know, put your you know, your demo in there that I can click on and see what it's all about. And then if I'm interested, I'll get back to you. Okay, thank you. Uh, what's the best way then to connect with you, both for, you know, listeners, uh, vendors, uh, colleagues, peers? Yeah, I always go back to LinkedIn. LinkedIn, LinkedIn. is the best. Yeah, you know, because uh, I check it regularly. I get in notifications. I can go there, read, you know, see what's going on. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn is always my preferred method of uh, communication. Okay. And final question before we wrap this up, if money was never an issue, uh, what would you do with your life? Oh yeah. I'd like to be a philanthropist, man. You know, I like to be able to give money away, <laughs> you know, you know uh, do I'm from, you know, Nigeria, West Africa originally. So, you know, to be able to go back to, you know, that region and, you know, uh, you know, do some, you know, youth empowerment programs, you know, uh, bring resources from the states, you know, um, you know, uh, to be able to provide, you know, education, exposure, experience to people back there, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That, that, that's a lofty goal. I know, uh, I know, uh, I think you have to be very, very rich in order to accomplish uh, some, something with that. I know, uh, like, you know, watching that Netflix show, uh, probably two years ago about Bill Gates. You know, I know he's been uh, involved in uh, providing oh, yeah. some uh, solutions for, uh, you know, uh, for clean water and, and, and there was another initiative there. 
but yeah, I mean, it's it takes a lot of uh, time, effort, and and money, obviously. Yeah. But uh, thank you for that, and thank you again for uh, you know accepting this invitation and joining me in our talk today. Uh, I hope uh, your answers would help young enthusiasts uh, in this field. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, uh, all of our listeners will be able to walk away with uh, at least a couple of, uh, of items here that provided them value. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I've had a good time. I've enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you.